Welcome once again to Ebon International's module on sustainable consumption and production. In our previous discussion, we talked about the overall policy direction of SCP Today, which is a narrow and weak SCP approach that is considered problematic because of one, it is restricted to the environmental and economic dimensions of development as it disregards social inequalities. Two, too much focus on individual consumption and technological innovations as solutions. And three, treating the terms consumption and production as separate concepts. We closed module two by saying that as the mainstream discourse ignores the fundamental question of how systemic and structural barriers that rest in social, cultural, political, and economic configurations of societies play a role in undermining SCP, it is crucial to advance a truly transformative SCP framework that will 1. Respond to a country and its people's particular needs and constraints, and 2. Advance the realization of economic, social, cultural, and environmental development objectives. Now, in this module's part 3, the People-Powered Sustainable Consumption and Production, or PPSCP for short, we will be discussing the transformative framework which will serve as an understanding of the preconceived or mainstream understanding of what the SCP is. It is focused on the definition, underlying concepts, components, and links to other areas of work and how it can be viewed as it happens on the ground. We will walk you through from SCP to PPSCP. In this activity, review your output from Activity 1. Using your answers on Module 1, Activity 1, continue answering the questions below. Submit your answers via the link posted on your Activity tab. 1. What people's rights do you think are affected in the production and consumption of the product? 2. What do you think should be done to protect the environment and rights of the people in producing and consuming this product? As an example, you will see on my screen the continuation for my answer in Module 1, where I chose cosmetic products as my sample. As I mentioned in Module 1, Activity 1, the production of cosmetic products not only harmed the animals in their product testing, but also exploit laborers who are the manpower of cosmetic production. Nowadays, as more consumers demand cosmetic companies to be more transparent on the way that they produce their products, it is still important that no rights of the cosmetic laborers are affected and the care for environment is always a priority. Got it? Were you able to review and connect your answers from Module 1 to Module 3? If you already, click the submission on the activity tab on this site after this video. Let us now proceed to our discussion. What is people-powered sustainable consumption and production? At the core of a truly transformative SCP framework is the question of people's rights and how it relates to the entire consumption and production process. 
this goes beyond the state's responsibility to promote and respect the right of its citizens, but also touching on the question of how people assert their rights, including the types of expressions of their assertion. In other words, a transformative SCP framework requires people's sovereignty as the only means for them to define their own patterns of consumption and production appropriate to their community. This framework recognizes the rights of citizens to choose, for example, the type of food they produce and how gains should be shared in the context of advancing people's rights. A transformative SCP framework treats the assertion of people's rights and sovereignty as the key and central driver of the various dimensions of production and consumption with the values and needs as expression of such assertion. To this end, a people-powered SCP framework can be defined as A people-powered SCP framework puts people's rights at the center of the whole production and consumption chain, stressing that every part of the system should be guided by the concept and principles of people's rights, from the extraction of raw materials up to the consumption of commodities and services. This means that the key point for PPSCP is not merely whether the perceived needs of the market are met through ecologically efficient production, but whether people's rights and welfare are ensured, upheld, and protected throughout the whole process. The PPSCP framework thus supports the view that People's rights are the key link in achieving PPSCP. Sustained people's action is needed for PPSCP to be realized, and SCP is a systemic issue that requires a systemic solution. There are four key components of PPSCP. The first one is that people's rights are protected and advanced in the whole production and consumption chain. PPSCP means that the principles of the right to development and all human rights that comprise it should be upheld. It strives to answer whether the collective rights of workers and farmers that produce resources or provide them are duly respected. The second key component is that self-sufficiency from the community to the national level is promoted through people's sovereignty. PPSCP promotes the maximum possible self-sufficiency of communities and nations in meeting their own needs through the exercise of people's sovereignty over the sustainable management and utilization of their own resources. The third key concept is that social innovations and community actions toward SCP are encouraged and supported. Community-led PPSCP initiatives must therefore be supported and encouraged at all costs amid a global climate of repression led by the state and big corporations. The fourth key component is that accountability of corporations and governments is demanded and ensured. The biggest challenges to the reforms needed to achieve SCP are presented not only by the environmental problems, but by the prevailing policy environment, 
pushed by the corporations that benefit from the current consumption and production system and supported by most governments. PPSCP must necessarily confront these challenges for any systemic change to take place. Before we continue, let us have a review of concepts. First, why people-powered? Any type of framework that seeks to bring about significant social transformation necessitates not just simply the people's participation, but the people's leadership in defining the agenda and plan of action. In the context of SCP, a people-powered framework allows communities to determine their own pathway to sustainable forms of consumption and production by advancing people's rights through asserting people's sovereignty. People are empowered not as individual consumers, but as a community or social group with collective rights that pursue their common interests. Next, what are people's rights? People's rights are the synthesis of individual and collective rights of the people based on the recognition that humans are social beings and that people seek to protect and develop their particular conditions of existence collectively as well as individually. People's rights also refer to the comprehensive or substantive scope of rights in the civil, political, economic, social, and cultural spheres. What is the right to development? The right to development is a collective right of all peoples to enjoy economic, social, cultural, and political development through which all rights and fundamental freedoms can be fully realized. What is people's sovereignty? People's sovereignty is the people's exercise or assertion of their collective power and authority, which challenges the non-conventional notion that authority only resides in the state that represents the people. Our second activity aims to identify and highlight the policy leap needed towards achieving a transformative SAP framework. On your screen, you can see a matrix in which facilitators and participants can input the contrasting nature of the mainstream SCP framework and the PPSCP framework. Take a look at the first row, which has been filled out as an example to get the Activity 2 started. The matrix is also available in our tab. There, you'll find that the items need answering are numbered. You will also find spaces and blanks where you will indicate your answers. When you are done, submit your work so we could proceed to our discussion proper on some of the issues that are closely interlinked with the PPSCP. The graph you see on your screen illustrates how SCP is interconnected to other SDGs. PPSCP is a vastly interlinked network of advocacies ranging from climate justice, food sovereignty, labor rights, trade to corporate accountability. As a comprehensive framework that encompasses a great deal of advocacy work, it is best understood as a system or chain. Between the process of production and consumption are several processes that complete the whole system, including distribution, 
like trade, marketing, sales, delivery of products and services to customers, as well as investments, which includes national budgets, domestic and foreign capital that keep the promotion consumption chain going. Throughout these processes, several issues often overlap and intersect, forming an expanded web of issues, including processes that are often considered to be outside the loop, but are actually indispensable parts of the whole system. SCP and Food Sovereignty Production and consumption are inextricably linked with food security and, conversely, food sovereignty. The ability of communities to produce a sufficient and steady supply of food for their own use is heavily impaired by imbalances caused by the neoliberal economic system. For example, the continuing trend of land grabbing facilitated by foreign ownership and control over land has further impoverished and kept farmers landless in many parts of the global south. Exacerbating this trend are fake land distribution programs that instead of freely distributing land to farmers, even allow for the reconcentration of land to elites. Without land, communities lose their main source of food and income, creating a global climate of food insecurity and hunger. SCP and Climate Justice one of the main reasons that sustainable consumption grows as an urgent global issue is the impact of unbridled resource use and ecological tipping points. The planet's climate system is changed by a number of ecological tipping points that have been identified in the past including permafrost and tundra loss, melting of ice sheets, boreal forest dieback, among others. The way the world produces and consumes directly affects these climate thresholds, which in turn exacerbates the impact of climate change. SCP and Labor One of the main components of SCP when taken at the global level is the concept of global value chains, or the GVCs, wherein labor is a critical aspect. GVCs refer to international production sharing, a phenomenon where production is broken into activities and tasks carried out in different countries. Currently, corporations run GVCs by extracting raw materials in the global south and offshoring low-value-added, often pollutive manufacturing processes in developing countries where labor is cheap and vulnerable and environmental regulations are lax. Meanwhile, high-value processes such as design and product development strategy are kept by corporations in industrialized countries. In mainstream SCP discourse, the concept of sustainability does not always and necessarily extend to economic and social pillars. As a result, labor rights seldom become a topic of interest in sustainability. But the reality, however, is that SCP encompasses labor rights. A truly sustainable production supply chain ensures that workers' rights are protected and guaranteed and sustainable labor practices are employed. In the next part of this video, you will listen to an audio of an incident highlighting corporate neglect of labor rights and complete disregard for occupational safety. This is the Rana Plaza Collapse.
The Rana Plaza collapse. In 2013, a structural failure caused an eight-story commercial building, mostly housing clothing factories, to collapse in Savar, Upaliza, Dhaka District, Bangladesh. The incident left 1,134 dead and approximately 2,500 injured. Majority of victims are Bangladeshi women garment workers who were crushed by falling debris. The building's owners reportedly ignored warnings to abandon the building after cracks appeared in the days before the collapse. Garment workers were nonetheless ordered to return the following day and the building collapsed during the morning rush. The incident highlighted corporate neglect of labor rights and a complete disregard for occupational safety. International clothing brands such as H&M, Gucci, and Benetton are known to source their products from contractors in Bangladesh. The GVCs of these big fashion brands place their low-value processes such as sewing garments in underdeveloped countries like Bangladesh without ensuring labor rights are met and occupational safety of workers are ensured. SCP and Trade PPSCP practices remain sidelined, small-scale, and some are even under attack, largely due to the rise of trade and investment agreements that counteract any effort to accomplish an urgently needed social transformation. In a perverse irony, these trades and investment agreements are also championed by the same advanced industrialized countries that pledged their commitments in Rio and ratified the SDGs post-2015. These trade agreements often trump sustainable development principles and have contributed to the further deprivations of still unmet human needs, rising inequality, and social exclusion. Identifying the interlinkages of SCP to other areas of work is an important task for advocates and campaigners alike as it allows them to flexibly explain SCP to a wider audience. For example, farmers whose main concern is land reform can readily grasp the concept of SCP if it is properly linked to food security and land use or ownership. Identifying these interlinkages also allows advocates to expand the conceptualization of SCP. The current framing of these interlinkages, while mostly astute in linking it to issues such as climate change and food security, remain incognizant of addressing systemic issues of inequality, underdevelopment, and poverty, which can only be achieved by addressing issues of human rights and justice. PPSCP in Action as a response to prolonged multiple crises of neoliberal globalization, several communities have taken up the initiative to form and develop their own PPSCP practice. PPSCP practices are initiatives that demonstrate the potential of mainstreaming sustainable development principles and reveal what it means to live in a more sustainable system of consumption and production wherein people's rights are advanced. These PPSCP practices constitute promising examples of how communities and society in general can benefit from a social order guided by the four components of PPSCP. 
Our third activity aims to spark discussions which can help participants better understand the concepts of PPSCP and how to explain it to others who may or may not be fully aware of the framework. In 500 words or less, write a personal essay that responds to the questions below. 1. How does PPSCP relate to problems or issues specific to your community or line of work? 2. Discuss among peers and figure out the best way to explain PPSCP to other members of your community or line of work. In the next part of this video are examples of how PPSCP practices are applied to both Philippines and Kenya. Philippines, land in the time of corporate control, bungkalan, and the struggle for land rights in Lupang Ramos, Philippines. Bungkalan is a Filipino term that literally translates to, quote-unquote, land cultivation. In the context of the Filipino farmers' struggle for genuine agrarian reform, the term has taken on a larger meaning and now refers to collective land occupation and cultivation by farmers, typically in situations of agrarian dispute against landed elites. The practice of bongkalan as a form of assertion by farmers of their right to land in food was brought about by what farmers consider as the failure of the government's land reform policies. One such example is the Bongkalan area in Lupang Ramos in Dasmariñas, Cavite, wherein more than 400 members of Kasama LR struggle for ownership and right to land through land occupation. Kasama LR means kalipunan ng mga lehitimong magsasaka at mamamayan sa Lupang Ramos. It is a community-based farmers organization that launched the 2017 Bungkalan Campaign in Lupang Ramos and successfully occupies 52 hectares of land. The history of Lupang Ramos is characterized by a string of deceptive tactics employed by landlords to exempt the land from distribution. In 1965, the 372-hectare agricultural land was named after Emerito Ramos, who managed to secure a title to his name without the farmer's consent. The land was supposed to be distributed in the early 1970s under the Presidential Decree 27, but Ramos converted the land to a sugarcane plantation, thereby exempting it from the land reform program. Up to this day, Lupang Ramos remain in agrarian limbo as the Ramos family continue to hold ownership in collusion with the local government. As a response to generations of deception and repression, the farmers of Lupang Ramos launched a land occupation movement in 2017 and established their makeshift protest camp to defend their right to land and food. Through their Bongkalan initiative, farmers successfully occupied 102 hectares of land, transforming once sugarcane farms, idle plots, and garbage dumps full of dense overgrowth into productive fields planted with rice, cassava, corn, and vegetables that feed the community. The Ramos family, however, in cooperation with the rival organization Buklod, 
recaptured 50 hectares of land, leaving 52 hectares to farmers of Kasama LR to manage. Through intimidation and harassment tactics, Buklod also managed to reduce the number of active Kasama LR members down to 100. In an attempt to foil further plans of Buklod to steal more land, Kasama LR strive to quickly spread cultivation across the 52 hectares they currently manage. The leadership of Kasama LR agreed to distribute 1 to 2 hectares of land per member to cultivate. This was later on revised to 1 to 2 hectares per family depending on their capacity to do farm work and land preparation. Kasama LR leads the operation of the Bungkalan. The organization functions both as an association of farmers as well as a cooperative. It is composed of an executive committee led by a president, vice president, secretary general, treasurer, and auditor. The production committee is tasked to manage the production targets and output allocation of the Bungkalan. The Security Committee, on the other hand, manages the schedule of guarding the protest camp as well as other known entrances to the Bungkalan area. Women have taken on prominent leadership roles in the organization. Ka Miriam Villanueva currently sits as Kasama LR Secretary General while other women leaders are also involved in the production and security committees. According to one of the women focus group discussion participants, madalas ang kababaihan ang nagjujuti sa marshal dahil ang mga kalalakihan ay may trabaho din sa labas, pandagdag sa kabuhayan. Translated as, women almost always take on marshal duties because the men also have work outside the bungkalan to add to their livelihood. They are also the default negotiator's pool since women tend to have a better sense of diplomacy. The cultivation of the occupied lands was difficult at the beginning especially because the farmers did not have farm tools necessary to prepare the land. Another reason why other tracts of land were unsuccessfully claimed during this initial campaign was because they lacked the equipment required to convert the sugar cane fields into farmlands. To address this, they employed collective farming techniques commonly known as bayanihan. Bayanihan is a Filipino custom of collective work and cooperation by the community or bayan to distribute workload equitably across all members. They successfully planted crops such as corn and cassava using the small farm tools they owned. The duties of men and women in the production team were largely the same. According to another woman farmer, halos pare-parehas lang ang responsibilidad ng kababaihan at kalalakihan. Translated as, the responsibilities of women and men are almost the same. They eventually secured aid from local non-government organizations or NGOs such as the Antipolo Foundation that provided them carabaos to plow the land. In addition, they managed to solicit a small tractor from the Department of Agriculture and other farm inputs 
from the Department of Agrarian Reform or DAR during the time of former DAR Secretary Rafael Capaeng Mariano who is now the Chairperson Emeritus of the Kilusang Magbubukid ng Pilipinas or KMP. KMP or Peasant Movement of the Philippines is the biggest mass organization slash federation of peasant organizations in the Philippines. The current 52 hectares of land is divided into communal farming areas and individual parcels of land for each family who continue to be part of Kasama LR. The communal farm lots are maintained and prepared collectively. Members are routinely organized into production teams depending on the type of work to be done and the crops to be planted or harvested. The output of the communal farmlands is stored for collective consumption as well as to feed volunteers and visitors who extend their solidarity to the struggle of Lupang Ramos farmers. Excess produce from brought the communal and individual parcels are sold to nearby markets and communities directly, the profits of which are used as extra source of income for the family or additional collective fund for the group. Advancing People's Rights The farmers' rights to land, food, and housing are being secured by the Bungkalan through the Land Distribution Initiative by Kasama LR. The land distribution enabled the farmers to plant crops for subsistence, gain additional income from the excess produce, and build their own houses. Without the land distribution, families within the community would have starved from the lack of livelihood or source of food. Promoting Self-Sufficiency The promotion of people's rights through the Bungkalan has enabled farmers to become more self-sufficient in terms of being able to provide for food and sustenance to their families. Before, farm workers in Lupang Ramos suffered from misly wages and insufficient food due to the lack of decision-making power to decide on what to plant and how to use the land. For one, they were able to dismantle the wage system and earn a living based on their individual and collective work. Organic farming has also boosted their land productivity. They now produce their own organic fertilizers and continue to develop their knowledge and skills on organic agriculture while also learning to manage and run the organization through collective leadership. Each family was also provided with housing lots within the occupied lands allowing them to set up makeshift houses so they can reside close to their plots. Securing self-sufficiency for the members of Kasama LR involves raising their political awareness and fostering their sense of unity and solidarity. Members conduct regular educational discussions and workshops tackling socio-political issues affecting their community, their country, and the world. They also promote the rights of farmers, collective leadership, and value of land cultivation by hosting student integration programs, religious groups, and international delegates who wish to learn more about their struggle. Members and residents are also encouraged to join protest actions and demonstrations in support of campaigns of other marginalized sectors. The youth are in charge of cultural programs while also exposed to actual production work 
since they are expected to take over the bungkalan in the future. Support for Community Actions for Sustainability Farmers in Lupang Ramos are in the process of transitioning into agroecological farming. Farmers are gradually introducing organic compost and seeds to lands that were once used as monocrop sugarcane plantations and garbage dumps. They are diversifying farm output to support their daily food and economic needs. The Lupang Ramos Bongkalan area began the process of organic farming in 2017 when NGOs such as Masipag and Antipolo Foundation began extending support to train farmers in organic agriculture. Masipag means magsasaka at siyentipiko para sa pag-uglad ng agrikultura, a farmer-led network of people's organizations, NGOs, and scientists working towards the sustainable use and management of biodiversity through farmers' control of genetic and biological resources, agricultural production, and associated knowledge. Since 2017, farmers have begun to plant cassava, corn, and small patches of organic brown and black rice. In addition, various support groups including students, religious groups, and international guests regularly visit the area and provide aid among other needs of the farmers. Demanding accountability from governments and corporations. In 2011, the Supreme Court ordered with finality to exempt Lupang Ramos from distribution to farmers under the government's Comprehensive Agrarian Reform Program or CARP, citing an ordinance issued by the local government converting the area from agricultural to residential land classification. Farmers, with the help of lawyers, and support groups quickly built up their defense and found out that the ordinance in question never existed in the first place. Through their lobbying and assertion, they forced the local government to issue a statement denying the existence of the said ordinance. According to members of Kasama LR, they chose to occupy the land despite the case being still pending because of their immediate need to secure livelihoods amid the very long wait for the case to be resolved. The land occupation is their form of asserting their right to the land by quote-unquote developing it for sustainable agriculture instead of letting corporate interests convert the land into private subdivisions and malls similar to what happened to nearby former agricultural lands. Kenya, asserting the right to ancestral lands, reclaiming stewardship of the forest, the Ugik people of Kenya. The Ugik is a group of indigenous peoples who have been living for centuries in the area around and in the Maui forest complex which covers 2,700 square kilometers. It is the largest mountain forest in Kenya and is considered an important water catchment area. It is located adjacent to the Aberdare Ranges in the vast Rift Valley region in the western part of the country. 
East Mau, which is around 900 square kilometers, has the highest number of Ogik dwellers. Their neighboring tribes in other parts of the forest include the Maasai, who were pastoralists, and other sub-tribes of the Kalinjin, such as the Kipsigis, who practiced farming. Originally, the Ogik were hunters and gatherers who depended on the forest for their food, shelter, clothing, and medicine. Violent evictions started during the British colonial era to make way for white settlers. Colonial soldiers were sent to force them out of their ancestral lands, resulting in the loss of access to most of their hunting and gathering grounds, and thus, over time, adapted practices that helped them adapt to more sedentary lifestyles. At the same time, they kept on returning to the Mao forest after evictions. There were times when the women and children would face the colonial authorities because the men are hunting outside of the community. Saying they had to go back to reunite with their husbands, the women with their children would then return to the forest. Ogik communities have started to adopt farming and livestock keeping because they have lost access to their traditional hunting and gathering grounds in the Mao forest. Their practices, however, on beekeeping for honey production and on forest conservation still reflect their application of indigenous knowledge on managing natural resources. This continued practice of indigenous knowledge is a way for the Ogik to continue asserting their rights and cultural identity. Honey plays an important role in Ogik culture and identity. Not only is it considered a source of food, it is also used as medicine for different types of ailments, gifts for different occasions, used in cultural ceremonies, brewed into alcoholic drinks during celebrations, and as payment for bride price. The Ogik have indigenous names for several types of bees based on qualities like how they look, whether they sting or not, where they are found, how they build their hives, and the quality of honey these bees produce. Their traditions in relation to natural resource management including the practice of not cutting down trees, not only protect the forest and the animals which they hunt, but also protect the bees that provide them honey. Advancing People's Rights Beekeeping and forest conservation by the Ugik are promoting their right to their ancestral domains, as well as their right to self-determination. In the face of eviction and influence of other settlers, the Ogik's application of their indigenous knowledge is not only a means to sustain their economic survival, the survival of what is left of the forest they consider their home, but also the survival of their identity and distinct way of life. By maintaining their beekeeping and carrying out forest conservation practices, the Ogik people are not only preserving but also rejuvenating the Mao forest ecosystem. Around 100,000 species of plants are vulnerable to extinction in the absence of pollination. These measures are important upholding the rights not only of Ogik or communities living in the forest,
but all communities dependent, in one way or another, on the Mao forest. Promoting self-sufficiency The loss of their traditional hunting and gathering grounds, multiple evictions, and violence inflicted on the Ogik pushed them deep into poverty. According to Ogik People's Development Program or OPDP, an estimated 90% of the Ogik are illiterate, which subjects them to further marginalization. While the Ogik have embraced farming, OPDP says this is done on a small scale and that communities are still largely dependent on the access to the forest for their survival. Beekeeping not only provides a source of traditional food and medicine for the Ugik, but also a source of income. Through their various community organizations and partnerships with other NGOs, the Ugik are able to negotiate reasonable prices for their products. Support for Community Actions for Rights and Sustainability Campaign and advocacy by the OGIC raised awareness about their plight among activists and international CSOs. The support that they received enabled the OGIC to adapt new practices to sustain their survival and their culture as well as gain political and legal recognition. Various CSOs are supporting their beekeeping activities by helping them gain markets to sell their honey through fair trade. OGIC organizations like the OPDP are supporting their beekeeping methods as well as their forest conservation initiatives by helping them set up nurseries and take care of trees in reforestation areas, training volunteer scouts to patrol the Mao forest, and raise awareness about the OGIC's rights. Aside from applying their indigenous methods of natural resource management, the OGIC have also asserted their rights through applying innovations in campaigning and advocacy to secure legal and political recognition of their stewardship of the Mao forest. One such innovation is the development of the OGIC Biocultural Community Protocol or OBCP which puts down into writing what used to be the customary traditions that were passed down through oral tradition and practice. Demanding Accountability from Duty Holders The OGIC have sought the accountability of the Kenyan government through international and national courts and other actions. They have opened the drives by the government and corporations to plant trees that are not indigenous to the forest and are for timber harvesting. Through constant advocacy and engagement, they have developed partnerships with Kenya Forest Service or KFS in forest conservation. Although their relationship with the institution remains somewhat tenuous because of the evictions and violence perpetrated against them by the KFS. After almost a decade of legal battle, the African court in 2017 ruled that the government of Kenya had violated the OGIC's rights to land, freedom from discrimination, religious freedom, right to enjoy and freely dispose of the abundance produced by their ancestral lands, and the right to economic, social, and cultural development. The ruling also recognized the Ugik as a distinct group of indigenous peoples. 
the ruling ordered the Kenyan government to offer remedies and reparations to the Ogit people. The victory bolstered the filing of a separate case on May 30, 2017 by the Ogit Independent Council of Southwest Mau Forest wherein they petitioned the High Court of Kenya around the question of recognition of Mau as their ancestral land. By July 2018, the High Court of Kenya ruled that the Kenyan government violated the Ogi community's constitutional rights to human dignity, own property, equal benefit of law, fair administrative action, fair hearing, and access to justice. In this module, we have learned that the PPSCP puts people's rights at the heart of the entire production and consumption chain, and that all of every aspect and step of the system is the people's rights, be it civil and political, social, economic, and cultural. Through this, the people's rights and welfare are the chief priority. Thus, the PPSCP framework supports the view that People's rights are the key link in achieving PPSCP. Sustained people's action is needed for PPSCP to be realized, and SCP is a systemic issue that requires a systemic solution. Equally important in this module are the cases of the Philippines for its Bungkalan campaign by the Kasama LR and the Kilusang Magbubukid ng Pilipinas in Lupang Ramos, and the beekeeping and forest conservation that is important in the identity of the Ogik in Kenya. Our fourth activity aims to help participants better understand PPSCP by identifying other examples of PPSCP practices based on a discussion of its key components. For this activity, choose one to three respondents that may or may not be users of this module. Interview them and ask questions that will lead to identifying other PPSCP practices based on the four key components of PPSCP, taking inspiration from the examples discussed. Choose an interviewee who has a basic background of PPSCP or at least explain to them the basic concepts of PPSCP. Suggested respondent interviewees are those who are presently members of people's organizations, rights-based organizations, or NGOs. When you are done with the interview, submit your interview transcription or audio recording on our activity tab. Make sure that you have sought their consent for the transcription and or recording of your interview, which will be submitted on this site as one of your outputs. That's it for now. See you all in Module 4. The podcast production team, Casey Victoria, Kate Santos, and Carl Glenn Roncal, technical assistants. Billy Joy Creus and Wilmar Pachay III, consultants. Lorele Covera, program manager, and Ami Padilla, executive director. This podcast of the Ibon International Sustainable Consumption and Production Module has been produced with a financial contribution by the Swedish International Development Cooperation Agency, through the Swedish Society for Nature Conservation, or the SSNC. The views herein shall not necessarily be taken to reflect the official opinion of SSNC or its donors.